My name is Jacob, and I am a Norse pagan, and welcome to the 19th episode of the Folk Podcast, a, a series where we talk about Norse paganism, the Norse gods, Norse mythology, and today we're answering your question because we're lazy and we forgot to get a guest for this week, but that doesn't mean that our mission is not true. So what I did today is I put a poll out on the Wisdom of Odin Instagram account and basically asked, what questions would you like us to answer on the Folk Podcast? So we're going to go through as many of these as we can in one episode. Um, I apologize if we weren't able to get to your question or if your question was a repeat of someone else's, which means we just kind of skipped over it. But I will try to plug who asked these questions. So today we only got Ian and Baker and myself. Sure got stuck at work. And like I said, we didn't get a guest for this episode. So we're going to be trying to work through these questions as best we can. Without further ado, let's just dive right in. Um, so the first one I got here is in the beginning. Oh, this is from uh, Cajun underscore Pagan. In the beginning of your journey, were you ever skeptical or felt like you were reaching for signs? Uh, definitely. I mean, I know we've talked about it um, in past videos um, or past the podcast recordings where you get kind of like that honeymoon phase, just like with anything that you start new. Uh, where, yeah, like every little itty bitty detail or every little single thing that you see, whether it's like any crow or any blackbird or something like that. It's like, oh, that's Odin watching you, you know, things like that. And it, it definitely happens, especially at the beginning where you, you're you so excited and so like, you're so fresh faced and new to it that every little tiny thing that happens, you take it as a sign or you you reach a little bit too much for it. And then, you know, most of the time it's, it's not necessarily, it's just, you go into your honeymoon phase. Yeah, definitely happens early on. Um, just looking looking too much into it anymore. Seems like a lot of times I get I get a lot of signs when I'm not looking for them. I just like, oh crap, connect the dots real quick, and then you know you figure it out. But early on, it's a every every little thing. You could probably hear like a you know a bird fart or a gnat fart, and what was that? <laughs> Something I definitely noticed, kind of thinking of that, is like as I have. I feel like one of the fears I had when I first started is that I'm going to miss a sign. Like that if I'm not always aware, I'm not always looking, like I'm not peeking around every corner, like is there gonna be another blackbird over there? Is there gonna be a ray of light I didn't notice? And I have found now in my you know time of being with this faith more is that if there's a sign, you are really going to notice it. Um, especially, And I feel like that is a good filter process because you cannot think every blackbird, every deer, every you know magical moment in this world is a sign sometimes it's just a beautiful moment like this morning i was filming one of my videos and i was walking back to the car and just from the right you know there was a blue heron flying over the creek past me beautiful moment loved it i mean those things are absolutely beautiful but at the same time like i didn't feel it as a sign i didn't feel like connected to the gods it was just i mean you can feel connected to nature it was a beautiful thing that happened that doesn't necessarily make it a sign um, for me, a sign is very in your face. I remember I was like having like the biggest one. I actually have a video on it. It's called a, a sign from the gods. Um, and me and one of my uh, coworkers, as far as like all these like bigger idea projects, we're having like a really in-depth conversation and we got some really cool things figured out and like have a really good game plan. And the moment I hung up the phone, I like looked up to the sky and it was a like clear summer day. And then like, the, you know, it was just blue sky and there was a singular storm cloud above me that was moving at like 100 miles an hour. And in the center of it was this glowing shape. And when I took a picture of it, it looked straight up like an eye. 
Like, if you don't haven't seen that video already, it's really spooky. Like, it straight up looked like an eye. And the fact that there was not a cloud in the sky besides that one is very strange. And so I feel like when there is actually a sign, it is going to let you know. So not every blackbird, not every crow. And guys, I, I need to burst everyone's bubble here. Most of the time, you're seeing crows. You ain't seeing a raven. I know it sucks to hear. I've seen an actual raven. And I was that way too. Like I saw, I heard like, you know, a crow go off. And I mean, there's crows all over my house. It does, sometimes I feel like they're talking to me in a way. But at the same time, the first time I ever saw a real raven was in Colorado because like one, you don't see uh, ravens in Kentucky very often. Um, and I had just gotten this tattoo done on my, uh, my forearm. And I walked out to smoke a cigarette with the tattoo artist and like literally turned to my right and saw the biggest blackbird I've ever seen. It pulled out its purple wings and just started flapping and was like that deep, like, whoop, whoop. And like, as it flew away, I'm like, oh, that's a raven. So like, once you actually see a raven, you'll be like, I'm an idiot because I've been calling crows ravens for way too long. All right, rant over on crows and ravens. <laughs> you guys got anything else for that uh, topic? No, I think that pretty much covers it. I think we all had a very similar opinion on it. <laughs> all right, so moving on to question two. Cage underscore Pagan, thank you for submitting that. Uh, this one's kind of along the same lines, um, so we'll just go ahead and cover it as well. Uh, from Judson underscore D, any uh, of you have any trouble stopping the little voice in your head saying this is all BS starting out, um, i.e. like ego walls? I never had anything like that whenever I uh, started out just because I wasn't, I wasn't religious for years. I think I, well, I guess in, in a way, I guess you could, you could kind of say I was, I was agnostic. Like I knew that there was something, just didn't know what it was. I knew it wasn't like the Christian God. Um, and then whenever I, you know, Thor finally showed himself to me where I challenged him to prove to me he was real. I'm just like, okay, I know this is real now. I'm just following this, you know, the hell with everything else. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. I have a very similar um, view on that as well, because I, because I have practiced other forms of paganism and I have been, you know, a wide range of agnostic or what have you. I never, I never really had that, that voice in the back of my head saying like, this isn't real or like, this is just silly. This is a phase or blah, blah, blah. Like, I've, yeah, I've never really had that either. So maybe it will help hearing it from me. So I've definitely felt this before um, along my journey. And I was very similar to um, Baker in the sense that I didn't really come like, yes, I went to church, but I literally never felt anything, like felt nothing at church. And so when I started having religious experiences under Norse paganism, it felt very real. But at times, even on this path and being on this path for a while, I have felt that what if I'm wrong? I think maybe that's a fear from Christianity is you're like, what if I'm wrong? I die and boom, I'm in hell or something like that. And maybe that's something that like sometimes affects us. But as far as like the BS, I think this kind of goes back to the crows thing in a small way. Like you cannot assume every crow is a sign from the divine. You cannot assume that every time you see a raven, it's a sign from the Odin and the gods. You really have to trust your feeling and your instinct. You'll know when something is real. And sometimes it takes a long time for those real events to happen. You know, it's not every day that I don't just walk out to go get my mail and have this amazing sign from the gods. It could be weeks, months, you know, a long period of time, even from particular deities. I mean, Odin can go, I haven't had a true Odin experience in three months, you know, something like that. And it's like, and that's fine. And you learn to kind of deal with that time in between, but also you can't BS yourself and, and fooling yourself thinking that you're going to have these signs all the time. Um, so here's a, a double score question here. I think this is some, very similar to each other. Uh, so strongman underscore of underscore Midgard ask about altars in nature. Do you leave everything there or only the perishables? And then also Robert uh, Mohel or Mo Moel, 
I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, but ask, uh, when has an offering concluded, especially with food and drink? When has, uh, when it rots or evaporates? So basically how long do you leave your offerings out? How do you know they've been received kind of thing? Kind of a hard question. It, it kind of differs from deity to deity. Um, I know there's a lot of times like if I, if I go out in the woods and I give something to, to one of the gods or, um, a spirit or anything like that, I, I just leave it out there. It rots away or whatever. If it's something in the house, I'll leave it until it feels right to, to get rid of it. Or my wife tells me that it's stinking and that I have to take it outside uh, as far as that goes. Um, but uh, I actually left my first like actual, well, not, it wasn't the first, I guess it was like the first big thing I left like out in the woods. I had my first experience with Balder the other day and I just uh, was trying to find the right words for a long time. And then uh, a buddy of ours or mine, uh, Jason from Wandering uh, Idrisil, he helped me with a, with a little poem, went out there and uh, I actually carved um, a rune into a big uh, piece of wood um, and then just spent a lot of time putting some effort and time into it and left that out in the woods as the, my first offering to him. And I got received very well, uh, I felt like, because on the way back to the back to the car, actually something kept telling me to look down at my boot and then there was actually like two little, I don't know what it was, like two pieces of grass that was like just right in the shape of an X that was the only thing on my shoes. So I'm like, okay. He received that. He liked it, I guess. Um, like you just have to go with your gut on it. The only thing I can really say. Yeah, that's a, for me, I, it's a very similar thing. So like, because I do, like with Hell's offerings, it's kind of a, I have this very specific time frame um, with apples. Like I'll cut them in half when I get make the offerings to her and I'll wait. Usually it's about a, day day and a half before if it's a if it's in my indoor altar when the inside of the apple is turned like a, a leathery brown like not like right on that cusp of it's probably about to smell a little funky but you know on an average like i've stuck to that time frame about like a day to a day and a half of indoor stuff as far as outdoor things go yeah it's, it's difficult to, to tell because some of the things like what you were saying baker like you offered you know, you carved a rune into a piece of wood, like who knows how long that's going to sit there before nature does its thing, you know? Um, and I know a lot of us have, I want to say a lot of us, but I know there's quite a few people who can do it that have outdoor altars, um, you know, that are made out of stone and stuff like that and that stay out there all the time. So, I mean, it's one of those things where like, I guess the next time you go to make an offering, you probably clean it or something like that. I'm not, I mean, I'm not 100% sure because usually with my out, my outdoor stuff is, I don't, I actually don't really use it too much just because of where I live and it's, I don't have a privacy fence, so it's kind of tricky. Um, but I don't know, yeah, that is kind of a difficult one to answer. So yeah, I definitely think it depends on what you leave. Um, as far as food, if you're like anywhere near your house, I would never recommend leaving food personally. I mean, unless it's maybe an apple, just because like, especially like me, I live in an apartment complex and I feel as though if I leave food out in my offering bowl, it's just going to attract things like possums and things like that. Pe things that like, I don't care about, like, I don't, I don't care about possums or raccoons, but my, you know, 18 other neighbors that live very close to me may, you know, just be a good neighbor. Why not be a good neighbor? You know, they might not know my practice, but why make it awkward for them? Um, I typically, I do love to just leave um, some form of liquid, especially in my home offerings. It seems to be the best thing. Um, have learned that mead molds if you leave it too long. And so I, you know, 
mead I usually let leave about a week because after a week is when it tends to mold and then I'll usually take it outside and pour it near a tree um, but things like the last offering I gave was just like whiskey and shoot that's still sitting in there because I just haven't removed it and I probably will stay in there until I give my next offering um, but I do think it matters a little bit how you dispose of it. I mean, I know I've done it in the past. I've disposed of liquid offerings in the sink. It doesn't feel the best, but um, if you don't have the ability to go outside and put it near a tree or something like that, it's probably the next best thing. I mean, it sucks to say, but it's probably the best thing. But the intention is still there. You still put in the effort and the time um, of, of leaving the offering. But as far as food, like if you're going to leave food, I recommend just going on a nice hike and not and even not leaving it on the trail. Same deal, especially here in Kentucky. If I take out like, you know, some meat into the woods and just leave it there, like I could be attracting bears to like, you know, that could actually harm people. Again, I, I would love bears. Like if a bear walked up to me and like was my best friend because I had some meat, that'd be great. But at the same time, I don't want to harm anyone on the trails after I leave. Um, and so I do think it's, it, it really goes, uh, goes on a case-by-case -case basis, but I think these questions are mostly referring to in-home offerings. Um, as far as food in the home, I think, you know, as long as it's not smelling, it's good to go, but I think you'll learn your own limits because you don't want guests to come over and they're like, oh, why does it smell like rotting food in here? And you're like, oh, that's an offering to the gods. Like to me, you're insulting yourself as a host because your food, a house smells like rotting food, but also you're insulting that offering by letting it get to the point of like disrespect. I guess is about, I think that. Uh, thing I usually do for, I, I forgot to say it whenever I do, but um, what I usually do with food whenever I take it outside from inside is I've got, I'm working on getting a, uh, like a fire pit built in the, uh, in the back. I'm just using it for something to do whenever it's warm outside. But I have a, a grill on my back porch and I will light it up and I'll burn the food offerings in that. I feel like that's the, the best way to get away to dispose of it and also give it, you know, further give it to the gods um because it makes sure that you know nobody else can have it um that and i live like 15 foot away from another house right here and like 30 foot from a house down below the hill from me so it keeps my neighbors from having weird critters come to them so we do have a lot of general questions on runes it seems um so i have one from uh the one with thor who asked rune studies with a question mark it difficult to me and then i have someone else that asked um is it okay to, you know, is it better to make your runes or is it okay to buy them? So I have like, a, you know, a general basic rune questions. And I think the best thing I have to answer right away is I do have a, a video out there that does answer all these questions. Um, it's a 30 minute long video answer. It's another community questions video. So if you want to learn a lot more about runes, check that video out. It's on my YouTube channel. It's literally called an introduction to the runes, um, answering, community, answering community questions. Now, as far as what we can answer on this show, um, I think the best thing I can say personally, as far as like um like the runes themselves is don't try to rush into them i think this is again something that a lot of people try to rush into right as they get into the faith i'm still learning the runes and i have someone that teaches me the runes that has been practicing for like 15 years and they still terrify me i still don't feel great about them but at the same time you know it's an every day every month kind of thing you're not going to learn them all at once um so yeah what do you guys got on the runes that we can digest in one go yeah i mean i'm, I'm pretty simple like Obviously, I don't have somebody teaching me or anything like that, but I agree with the take your time with it. I mean, that was kind of the point of why we ended up doing like a take your time episode um, is, yeah, like I, I definitely was one of those individuals that jumped in and rushed into the runes right away. And it's so overwhelming and there's so much to do and so much to learn with the runes. Um, and as far as like the question of, buying or making them i mean i bought my first set you know and a lot of people are gifted their first set that they purchased from somewhere you know what i mean 
Um, I did eventually make my own and it, it definitely had a different effect as far as use and just the personal attachment to those compared to the ones that I bought. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely something to take your time with. I agree hundred percent. I, I put it on the bit of the back burner as far as studying, cause I've been doing other things, but I was for a good couple of months studying pretty hard as far as runes, bought a lot of different books on it and stuff like that. But it's just something I know that it's going to take probably years of practicing and reading and research before I feel confident in actually doing a lot of stuff with them. Yeah. And just reiterating basically what the, what everybody else has said, just take your time with them. I've, I've been studying them on and off for, for I guess the last year, really more heavily the last uh, four months or so. I think, um, I can't remember if it's September or August that I really went a little headstrong into learning them. Um, but just they'll they'll come if they come to me in waves like i'll have four like i'll have three or four that'll show up and it'll just be like back to back to back of you know kind of driving it home as far as like what this rune means what it stands for you know what you feel whenever you uh, pull it or something like that um and then it'll go away for a little while and it'll come back and i think right now i've gotten i think i've gotten where i know i know i think 10 of them pretty well uh i, I can recognize about every all of them now it's just being able to look at it and tell you exactly what it is and stands for names but just take your time with it yeah something i figured you would um we would talk about is the crafting aspect of it i do think it feels really good to craft your own and I, it feels like a barrier of entry where it's like okay i have actually sat down and i've made these and now once again mine are handmade but they were made for me specifically like that and from a person that doesn't even sell them so like they have definitely meaning so I think having runes that have meaning to them makes them even more, um, you know, not only to say powerful, but more meaningful. I actually have three sets of runes, uh, one being from my teacher, um, the other being from the community that uh, all made these runes for me at the fall gathering. And then I have another set that was gifted to me um, from Ben from Oaks and Oaks because he left it behind at the Midsummer Gathering. He's like, I guess those are your runes now. <laughs> and so like I have these three rune sets that, you know, all have a little bit of meaning to them. So yeah, I, I definitely think you know, just going on Etsy and just searching runes to buy and buying them is probably the bare minimum. At least you're buying like someone's handcrafted ones. But I do think that having the runes come to you in a, a story of some kind is really meaningful. But definitely don't go to the lowest of the low and just like search runes on Amazon and buy like these like cheap knockoff rune plastic things. Like don't do that. Don't do that. Um, you, you should know that like, I, I don't say don't do things very much, but don't buy cheap you know, Viking slash Norse pagan crap. <laughs> You're not supporting anyone uh, by doing that. Uh, how to give offerings without making my wife think I'm possessed. <laughs> this is all, this is all for you, Baker. You're the only one here that's married. Yeah, yeah, you're married and yeah. Does she think you're possessed sometimes? Uh, I mean, early on, she just, uh, she just thought I was weird, crazy and stuff like that. But I just, I just had to sit down with her and was just like, look, you know, I've never, I've never been religious or anything like that. And I finally found something that like that works for me. And it's, you know, it called to me, it found, it, you know, it found me as much as I found it. Um, and heck now I've got, I've got my main altar to Odin uh, right there in the dining room and you can see it as soon as you open the front door. So that's always fun whenever family comes over. <laughs> yeah. I think that my family just thinks I'm really into Norse mythology or just like something like that, because it's the first thing you see when you enter my house now too, is just this three tier altar 
-hmm. like my mom has walked by it now and I don't think she pays attention to it. I'm just like, nice. <laughs> it's like my mom with tattoos. She's like, I will not address them. I will not acknowledge it. <laughs> yeah, like what is it? Fifty percent of your body is now tattoo. I mean, for real, dude. For real, I'm, I'm almost got. I've almost got two sleeves going. But back to the question, it's um, I don't know. I don't. I don't know what your like, what your dynamic and exact situation is with your wife. You know, she's super religious or not. Mine's kind of in the middle, where she's she still identifies herself as Christian, but she like definitely not like mainstream or anything like that. She has her own views separate from the Bible and all that, but that's another story. Like you just kind of have to play it by ear and do you, I guess you just need to try to sit down with her and just, you know, explain, you know, just try to explain it as best you can. And just, you know, I guess in a way you could try to do it kind of like how there's uh, some people that are, whether, what are they Pentecostals or something like that? They speak in tongues and everything else. Still, at least you're not doing that screaming, running around like a crazy. <laughs> so that, that was kind of a funny question, but I feel like we had a nice serious answer to it. I mean, some people think what we're doing is kind of strange, but I do think that the best thing we can do is just talk about our experiences, you know, saying, hey, you know, this might sound strange, but at the same time, I'm experiencing things. I feel like I'm becoming a better version of myself. Um, like me and my father over the, the Christmas weekend had a great talk about it. Like we talked about um, what I do for probably about half an hour, an hour. At the end of the day, you know, at the end of the conversation, he was just like, as long as you're happy, that's what matters to me. And he was like, but also don't build a hippie commune. And I'm like, dad, I'm the number one proponent against communes. Everyone else wants to build this Viking village. And I'm like, no, stop. Bad pagans, bad, get down. <laughs> um, so moving on to the next one. Now this one's interesting. I don't know if you guys have more information on this. I don't know how much we can help because I don't know anything myself. Um, but this one uh, comes from Jen Got the Juice. She asks, where can I learn more about the vulva and trolldom practices? So, um having done a lot of reading as far as say their stuff I have come across a few different things involving vulva um I know specifically one of the books that I have on say their work does cover some vulva practices um it's the gate is open is the name of the title um the author is to Katie Jared, I believe is her name. Um, but it does cover some of that stuff. And having gone into a bit of say their practice and reading and stuff like that, I have come across a few different like little tidbits of vulva practicing. Um, there's a book that I came across that was primarily focused around vulva. And I cannot remember the name of it to save my life, unfortunately. Um, but uh, as far as the troll them, I have no idea. Or like the, the troll stuff, I have nothing. But if you look into say their stuff, you will very likely uh, come across vulva practices because say their work was primarily a female orientated practice, uh, much like vulva is as well. That's I think all I got. I think the only thing I can add to this is just realizing that most of the information you're going to get, especially when you start diving into these very specific magics, is going to be like third hand. Like you are not going to find anything from the pre-Christian Scandinavian and Germanic times. Um, most of what you're going to find is going to come out of the 1800s. And then most of the majority of the information you'll find is from um, sources in the modern era. And so you have to be very careful about the information you're getting. And, you know, it's hard to say if it's, I don't, I can't even give you the, the proper way to check to make sure they're good sources. 
Um, so the only recommendation I can have is have a lot of sources if you can find them, but it seems like the more specific you get, the less sources you're going to find. So it makes it very hard to trust the information you're going to get. Um, you know, that's not the best answer. It's probably more of a warning, but that's something we, we notice a lot um, with um, a lot of pagan elements, even things like, I feel like the Ulfinder um, Viking stuff, like, you know, or Berserker stuff, you know, you can find a lot of information, but it's so varied and you don't know if it can be trusted. So just be careful out there as you search information to these deeper subjects. I want to say we had, uh, we've got a couple people in the community that they, they either practice or they're, they're researching a lot on like the, the vulva and stuff. I've heard at least one person talk about trolldom, but I have no idea what it really is. Um, Eric would know, I feel like. Yeah, I'm sure Eric would because that dude, he's not of this realm anyways. He's just a visitor. Ian, you would actually officially finally be short next to Eric. I can't. I know we keep on saying that, but like, damn, everyone says you're short and you're not. And then Eric, you'd be like, damn, I'm actually short. Yeah, I've heard. I saw some of the photos and stuff from people at the yield gathering. I was just like, okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but Jen, Jen got the juice. Thank you for that question. I'm sorry we can't give you more answers to that, but we want to. We don't want to give you false information. Just be careful out there on your search um, and start finding those other things like Sather, and maybe you'll find some more answers out there for you. Um, let's see else we got here. Um, so this one comes from a dichotomous Mary ask, are there different camps or types of Norse paganism? So if you guys want, I can try to tackle this because I might know more about this than you guys. Um, so this is complicated. So precursor to this, like I'm not an expert in this. If this is just what I witness in the community and these people might not even describe themselves as their own type or realize it themselves. Um, but there are different types of Norse paganism. I mean, quite frankly, Norse paganism, heathenry, and Asatru are all different in some people's eyes. Um, Asatru probably being more of the standout. Um, a lot of people who say they're heathen will refuse to call themselves Norse pagan, but a lot of Norse pagans will call themselves heathen. So it's a very complicated thing. And then once you start getting into them, you start breaking down even more. Are you universalist? Are you a reconstructionist? Are you a, you know, do you follow a set creed? Um, do you follow a set path? Like things like the nine noble virtues are not universal. Like you might follow those, but you have to understand those where those came from. Um, and so there's a lot of different pathways you can take and a lot of different like ways you can pres uh, prescribe to. But I think the two major ones um, are a universalist approach and a reconstructionist approach. Um, personally, I'm not either. Um, a reconstructionist approach is some uh, are people that are trying to practice um, heathenry, Norse paganism, etc., as close to possible as the pre-Christian Scandinavian ancestors. Um, why, while their efforts have provided us more information that we may have not known before, like they're very big into digging into these very long and laborious texts to find little bits of information. At the end of the day, I would say the knowledge in which they have of the practices of the religion in pre-Christian uh, Scandinavian Germanic times is like 3%. Like they still know barely anything. So to me, reconstructionism is a valiant effort, but I, I just don't know how much of the time it's worth because, you know, we're just going to make that 3% into 4% maybe four and a half percent, like how much can their efforts actually truly create? Because there's this, I mean, there's just quite frankly, so much that we're never going to know. Um, so my problem, my only problem with reconstructionism is that um, they tend to not, they tend to look down on people that aren't reconstructionists. Now this isn't true across the board. Like I have, we have Nick reconstructionists in our discord that are perfectly fine people, they're helpful, but I do find that a lot of people who obsess over the reconstructionism aspect are very closed off to others. I'm gonna look at it. I know um, having rereading the 
the way of fire and ice is actually a really good source to kind of that goes into a bunch of the different forms of like Norse paganism. That's kind of like what we're talking about now. Like they do touch on like the Sasha heathenism, Norse paganism, the reconstructionist, um, universalist, and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and uh, there's another one. It's not, it's another term that's like a Satru, and I can't remember what it was, but it, it has the Satru part of it. And I can't remember for the life of me, or like there was two different branch off branches of it where like, Are you talking group, about like the true? Yeah, something like that, where it was like one group primarily focused on the okay, the, here we go. the Vanir, you know, that kind of stuff. Like so that. here's the exact breakdown. So the um the Asatru Free Assembly started in 1974, and in 1986 it split into two uh, two successor organizations, the Asatru Alliance and the Troth. And so the Troth are universalists and the Asatru Alliance are folkish. Um now I, I don't know if I need to go too deep to what a folkish person is, if you don't know. Um, essentially, they think it's only for people of Germanic and Scandinavian heritage, whereas the Universalist Troth is, you know, no, it's open for everyone. So this was one of the splits that happened. Um, so this is another split you'll see as far as like the race politics. Um, I kind of talk about this in a video um, later this week as far as like my viewpoints on this. Essentially, I just don't care. Like, I think I've seen people from all creeds and nationalities and backgrounds worship these gods and have wonderful experiences. That's all I really need. But if you really, if you really care about the politics of heathenry and Asatru, you can dig into it. It's there. Uh, it's very complicated. And I just don't like to be associated with it. I don't, I don't associate with any group myself. And I think a lot of us here at the Wisdom of Odin, the folk podcast, we are all tired of all these, all the politics of the heathen world. And so they're, they're out there. There are many groups. So in, in conclusion of the various heathen groups out there, there is a lot of different groups. It's a complicated and scary world. Um, I'm learning more about it every day. Um, I've been gathering as much information as I can on it to provide that information at some point. So hopefully this gives you a little bit of a, um, of a window into the complications of the political heathen world. It's scary. And why, you know, let's just, just don't associate with it. Just do your own thing. I think that's the answer to really. Just drink a beer while you're recording a podcast. The strange thing while you're recording the podcast. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's my thing. Like, don't we just all want to get together and drink? Like, yeah. why does it got to be complicated? Like, we're here to drink and have a good time. Well, and I think that's a big reason why a lot of people do solo practice is because of the complication of, like, the different various groups and creeds of, of paganism that are out there. And I think that's why a lot of people are so inclined to do private practice within their own family or just by themselves or whatever because there's a lot and a lot of stuff that we would rather just not have involved with it well and it's like stepping on eggshells even in this conversation yeah. I, apo I apologize if i offended you but quite frankly we've made the heathen community so hard to talk about because if you misstep one direction people are like no 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 that's not right no no no, you're wrong and it's i mean it's a horrible i mean at times it's a very horrible place to be in um while i love this community so much i love you guys i love uh, everything the wisdom of odin has done so far but it's a scary world out there guys it's a scary world um all right moving on to happier topics let's talk about pagan funerals no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, like someone just said Norse pagan funerals. Like, is that like, I, I don't. Okay. So oh, you got something. All right, cool. Go for it. I, yeah. So I actually do have something on this. So for a lot of you who have either listened to the podcast or are part of the discord, um, and this may be new to some people that are just listening in, um, I am a follower of hell, which obviously deals a lot with death. I was recently gifted a book called The Road to Hell, which actually covers 
a lot of um, funeral rites, just the dead in general amongst Norse pagans. Um, and it has actually kind of promoted me in a sense to kind of work on um, funeral like rituals, I guess is the best way to look at it, or like funeral services. Now in this book, a lot of it is very cut and dry and planned out already. So a lot of what I'm, I'm working on is uh, stuff that is taken from history that we already know about and stuff like that, but I'm adding kind of my own flair to it, I guess you could say as far as, um, uh, you know, certain religion or certain, I'm adding my own flair to it as far as reaching out to hell, certain speeches or rites that I'm coming out with and stuff like that. It's a, it's a work in progress, but um, a lot of what I'm working on is coming from that book and it is very cut and dry from history. I'm just adding more of a, as a follower of hell, this is what I would say to send somebody off, you know, like here is this, this you know, this person say their name is coming to join you in Helheim, blah, 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 you know, please watch over them for their family, stuff like that. So, I mean, I am working on a little bit of a project involving that. Um, I just now realized how many more questions we have. We technically only have 15 more minutes until the hour mark. So let's try to do some rapid fire rounds here. Um, but my closing thoughts on funeral is we actually do know a lot about funeral practices and the fact that they flip-flopped a lot. A lot of times they move from cremation to burial. And sometimes there's an interconnect between if you're buried, you get to stay here in Midgard and go to hell. And then if you burn yourself, you get to go up with the deities into this, you know, the sky god realm. And so there is that connection. Um, look up Goatland. Um, Goatland has a lot of burials. Um, like they would actually burn the ship and then they would, you know, put a little ship marker. Like there's tons of those things. We know a lot about the funerals. Get a good history book. You'll learn a lot about them. Um, but I personally am going for Viking ship burning. You guys have heard it. I know it's illegal. You're doing it anyways. Thank you. You know what? It's I not want. entirely illegal. I have looked at some stuff. Oh yeah. So, oh yeah. You know the shit. Um, I say, if we have a big enough piece of property, ain't no way they're gonna find out. They just think they're big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Let's keep moving on. Um, like we're only past like the second page of the six pages I have. Um, we're gonna have podcast answering questions. All right. Two. Let's get some fucking jazz going. Delete that shit, Jacob. Delete that shit. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, <clears throat> a broad question. This one comes from Nightless986. A broad question. But where does someone start with wanting to follow paganism? Ian, you got 15 seconds. Go. Uh, buy books. I guess buy I don't know. There's, tons of, buy, there's a tons of books that Jacob has done videos on that are good starter ones. There you go. All right, yeah. Caleb, 15 there's seconds. Whole, there's, a whole, there's a whole YouTube about it. Just look up the wisdom of Odin. I haven't heard that in YouTube. I heard it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> what, you're, you're busting your own balls now? <laughs> it's the only way to keep this gravy trainer rolling. All right, so if I have 15 seconds to tell you what to do with heathenry, I think you should follow this thing called the wisdom of Odin. It's a really great YouTube channel. But also, I really do think that you should just go outside and have a really good time. Follow the energy that finds you. Um, yep. give, some, give, give thanks when that energy gives you something. I think that's the, how the ancestors found it, and that's how you can practice it. All right. What do you got? You got five more seconds, Baker. No, I said go with your gut. Go with your gut. All right. You want you want five more seconds, Ian? What do you got? Oh, wait. You don't have five seconds because you shaved your mustache off. All right. <laughs> um, okay. I, I don't know. I don't have the answer to this. Maybe we can call Chris real quick. 
I want to learn how to show honor to tear. I've been reading on how to do that, but I want to learn more. I say, I've only dabbled with experiences with tear a few times. He did some stuff with me as far as shadow work, or he promoted me and pushed me to do some shadow work um, a while back. So yeah, my experiences with tear are relatively limited. Yeah, Chris is yeah, Chris is the man to talk to on tear. Um, I know I've only the only experience I've ever had with tear was whenever he I burned the crap out of my hand at work and had a big old wound on it. Okay, here's what I have to say about tear. I think there's a misconception of tear of what justice really is. If you look up any philosophy book, this is I took a philosophy class once, and the first thing we covered was justice, and it, I I took it I took it by the horns. I loved it, and then I dropped the class. Okay, so justice is basically the you know duality of injustice. Justice is when all the parts work to the greater greaterness of the whole. Injustice is when one of those parts does not work to the greater of the, of the whole. It does not fulfill its role anymore. So in order to make, regain justice, you are making sure all the parts become what they are meant to be again. And so I think a lot that term justice has turned a lot into other things in our modern world. So it's just something to think about because I find that a lot of tier followers get very confused um, and have a lot of struggle on their path because they aren't willing to accept the hard truths. Um, they, they, think it's, they think it's something different. I think that's all I can say. All right, cute. Um, <laughs> hey, someone's uh, Captain underscore Red says, talk more about tier. We don't know a lot about tier. I mean, we know about Fenrir, but honestly, like that's kind of it. And like, hey, he's got more stories than some other deities. Um, so Luke middle underscore zero four says, I pray to both Odin and Thor. How do I know which one is answering me? That's both of you guys. I mean, do you, do you feel, do you feel like you've got some dark, some like kind of dark ominous uh, <laughs> energy around you? You feel like you've got the, uh, you know, the thunder going through your veins and you want to go punch something. I don't know. I feel like that's Odin sometimes too. Odin's like but a shaky rage. I, like. I take that back with my beast stuff. I wanted, I wanted to kill a lot of things. So that's yeah. Odin too. I take it back. <laughs> is me. it out in the middle of a thunderstorm? Yeah, like, is there a thunder? Is there a thunder or an oak tree nearby? You're dealing with. Yes. Yeah. I think the best <laughs> way to say is the longer you practice, the more you'll be able to tell the difference between the gods. Don't worry too much about semantics. Go out, have a good experience with them, and you'll you'll learn more along the way. Because I I'm pretty good now in the sense of especially Odin. I know who Odin is when he gets in contact with me, and I have an Odin experience. But it's when those new deities come in. I'm like, is this Frigg? Is this Freya? Like, I can't tell. I know it's a female energy, but what kind of female energy is it? And so that's when you start talking to other people and things like that. But you'll, you'll learn in time. Um, Caleb, rapid fire round for you. From uh, Cade Pickett, what is one thing you always offer to Odin? Uh, whiskey. I like to give him scotch. Lots and lots of scotch. All right, cool. Um, Ian, for you, rapid fire round. Uh, fire dot in my spirit says what is the best way to memorize runes i actually don't have them all memorized off the top of my head so i am not the person to ask about that <laughs> I tell you. uh just practice with them i think is all i can say i know some people make flashcards, um but that seems a little yeah. pedestrian <laughs> like if you need flashcards to remember the runes maybe it's not time to use the runes is i guess my thought on it um i think you just take a, take a rune a day i mean pull up a rune you know have your bag sitting there pull a rune out and you sit there and maybe you do it a week do a rune a week and you're like okay this is unio unio means joy and you know and then you start walking around and you just feel that rune and then after you're done with it you put it in a different bag and then you just pull out another rune every day or every week and you just go through the entire set yeah i think that's pretty good i came up that on the fly I like Look at that. 
Um, or you get a tattoo of each rune every time you've mastered one. That's asking for trouble. That is asking for trouble. Don't, don't, don't do that. Ideas. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I okay. This one is for both of you. You both have twenty seconds to answer this one. I've turned this into a game show. Uh, <laughs> Faye Woodland says, "I heard you have to have uh, have to earn your mignoner. Is that true, Ian? Go." No, I mean that's I I don't agree with that at all. I know a lot of people like for me, example, mine was gifted to me, um, and I know quite a few people of theirs are either gifted by either a family member or a friend that knows that they are going down this path. So no, my answer is no. All right, Caleb, go. You only got nineteen seconds because Ian ran over. Uh, I didn't know any other Norse pagans whenever I, you know, I, I found the gods. So I bought my own, but I made sure that I bought it from a uh, somebody who forged it by hand in uh, what current country was it? Like Croatia or Czechoslovakia or Probably something like Ukraine. that. It's always Ukraine. Mm. It wasn't Ukraine. I know that. It was something with a C. I just don't remember the country. Yeet, one, two, eight, nine, uh, eight, seven, nine. I'll answer this one, uh, one for you. In what language should I communicate with the gods? Whatever language you speak natively, I think is the best way. Uh, but Caleb, I know me and you have both experienced speaking to them in German. It gets a very interesting uh, result. I feel that the ancestors respond well to the German. Like if you're trying to reach out to the ancestors, maybe speaking in a native tongue with them. But as far as the gods, you have to realize, especially with Odin, like they're wide traveled beings. I don't mm -hmm. think language is going to be a barrier for your communication with them. Mm -hmm. All right. It just comes to me every now and then is just like, this the, the words just come to me and i have to say them in german so yeah the forgotten underscore journey will will expand this into a larger debate because i don't know if this is a quick rapid fire one how do you handle uncertainty when the gods give you a mission oh boy um having had one of those not too long ago thanks to both jacob and chris messaging me at eight o'clock in the morning um you just kind of have to do it or figure out to the best Just of you yeah basically a child above that um yeah like it i was given well somebody else was given a message to give to me and it i ended up going out to the canyons that i like to frequent within like four days of receiving said little mission and I had an experience. I had an, uh, my first encounter with Nerthus. And I think it, it's it's one of those things you just have to find a way to do it that best fits you, I think. I don't know. Just do it. Yeah. I think the best thing is just don't give up. I think, you know, the yeah. gods don't really care about a time frame unless it's very specific. Um, but just don't completely give up on it. You can take a break mm -hmm. from it. Don't feel like you need to work every day towards it. Um, you know, take some time for yourself. Take a self-care day. You know, don't worry about um, pleasing the gods every moment of your day. One, because the gods probably don't care, but two, because I think that's the only way to achieve your goals. You know, you got to figure if you think about the, think about it in terms of like the sagas and the heroes, the heroes didn't complete their task in a day. They completed it over the course of their entire life. And so I don't, I don't think you need to put that time pressure on yourself. Just don't give up is the biggest thing. All right. Um, honestly, sadly, I'm probably the best one to answer this one because I'm the only one that lives in like a city. But uh, queer Norse pagan, aka one of our friends, it's good to hear. So I live, I live in a city, just not as big as yours. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you don't live in an apartment, though. Um, how do you hey, feel? Yeah. How do you feel connected in a big city? Is what the, is the question. Uh, so the, the, my difficult thing with that is just where I where I work in that uh, chemical plant. Um, it's literally it's like we always call it a city inside of a city, and the hardest thing that the thing that I always forget is that's where I had my first interaction with the gods. And I will forget about that all the time, but it's, 
it's just whenever I'm when I'm there by the edges of it, I can look out the fence and I can see I can see the mountains in the distance. I can you know I can see the birds that aren't pigeons that are around every freaking corner and pooping on you from every rooftop that I can. Yeah, for real. <laughs> that I can actually you know feel the odds. It's like the last uh, I got put back out in the field um, a couple months ago. And in that short time span, I've seen birds that I've never seen inside the plant before. Like I actually seen like, I saw hawks like flying through Eastman. Oh, I shouldn't say that. All right. I saw hawks flying through the, uh, through, through the plant that I work and I've never seen that before. I've worked there for three, three and a half, almost four years. Um, for, for me, I think the biggest thing is you cannot tell me that no matter where you live in a big city, there ain't a park nearby. Like every city on the planet has parks and it may not feel so natural and wild, but it's something like, you know, one of my favorite cities out there is Chicago, which is a very rare thing. A lot of people aren't like, man, I love Chicago. Like, but I like Chicago and um, I really attach to the parks there. Like even the lake, like you can go to the lake and feel something like that is a massive body of water. And you can even take a boat ride and go somewhere a little bit more remote, or you can take a train somewhere a little bit more remote. Like, there are options. Obviously, it's not the best option. It's not going to be the best. You know, nothing's going to beat being out into the true wilderness, the untamed, you know, landscapes. Um, but I think if you just find find a tree, find a park that you can try to make a little bit more sacred. It might be hard in a big city, but you know, you just got. It's really more of a band aid until you can kind of escape. And my ultimate advice is just get out of the city, return to the woods. I think that's yeah. Get to the woods, boys. <laughs> That's the true purpose of this show. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to commit. I actually, I'm in uh, in cahoots with the land sellers in the area. So, <laughs> the Viking the underscore Viking MMA says, no question, just a big hug from a Norse pagan from Italy. Skull, 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 skull. Thank you. I'll drink to that. Okay, here's an interesting one for all of us. Maybe we don't have to dive in too deep here, but uh, 1909 Habis 1909 says, how long did you question uh, Did you question before you were able to admit that you believe? I'm assuming you're just in the gods of the world. Hmm. Literally, the moment that Thor showed himself to me, I was like, oh, <laughs> it's real. Daddy Thor. Yeah, I, I feel like for me, it was, yeah, for me, it was a very easy, like, natural transition. Because like I've said it before, I've practiced other forms of paganism. So like, I already had a very good understanding and knew that they existed and that they were real to me. It was just what pantheon I was, you know, felt called to more. So yeah, for me, it was just a very natural thing. I didn't really have any particular moment where I didn't find them to be real. I knew that they were, it was just, oh, this pantheon works better for me than say like the Celtic pantheon. Um, so for me, again coming from nothing where i was i feel like this is fairly common I, you know shirt here i'm sure he has a different story to tell but i feel like a lot of us come from the christian background or at least a, you know a, a period of disbelief so where you felt nothing and the reason that you started this path and you're following these ancient deities is because you have this crazy experience and so for me when that crazy experience kicks off you know it's like oh okay well i guess this is real and so you go into that questioning and trying to figure out uh stage but as far as like the accepting that it's real i would say it took me like a week from my first like aha moment to me questioning it before i'm sitting there like in my bed like oh no what has happened 
Um, but as far as someone that comes from a more complicated background, as far as like, you know, what they believe in religiously, and a lot of people are just like, you know what, no, I want to be a Norse pagan, and I'm going to figure it out. Like, they don't come in here with a huge religious experience. They come in here because they're interested. Um, and I think like, to me, you just got, you got to seek, you got to seek out nature. You got to get outside. You got to start talking to the gods. The biggest way to get something to happen to you and the biggest thing to get that confirmation that you're seeking, because I know a lot of people are seeking that confirmation that this is real. I think you need to one, go to a gathering. I think we've had a ton of people come to our gatherings that are like, I don't know about the gods. And by the end, they're like, they're so real. <laughs> and I, I, but only all we're doing is facilitating a sacred place for sacred things to happen. You can have that on your own. It just requires a little bit more work. So just don't be afraid of that work to put in. Tomahawk Ward says, what do you see is the biggest hurdle for growing Norse paganism in the US? All the infighting. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a global thing, really. Like, you know, the amount of yeah. infighting just in the pagan community, it's it really just what I've observed is that if we started looking at each other for our similarities and what we care about, the differences that divide us will become less prevalent. And, it, you know, and it, so some that might be hard, like, no, I can never be friends with X group or Y group because I don't believe in what they believe. And it's like, but they believe in the gods. They believe in community. They believe in the land we live on. Can you not find common ground there? I mean, shoot, Ian, I'm sure me and you don't agree about certain things. Pager, I'm sure yeah. me and you don't agree about certain things. Um, shoot, you know, we have over 500 people in the Discord community, and I'm sure none of them all agree on the same issues except the gods, the community, and the land we live on. And I think if you are willing to set aside, and I, I mean, this is for the community to hold, like set aside these things that you that forcefully divide you from not only your faith, but the people around you in your world. And you start looking at it like, you know what? No, I want to find people that believe in nature like I do. I think you're going to find a lot more similarities than you are differences. Um, but yeah, I do think infighting is our biggest problem. Um, but also I do think that one of the problems here in the United States is the fear of Christian guilt. Um, especially a lot of people in the South, they, they fear the repercussions of being one. Um, but honestly, I find that, you know, quite frankly, Christianity is much weaker than it is, it is now than it's ever been in the world. Like Christianity does not have a foothold like it used to. Like you're not going to be persecuted by your town. I don't think you're going to be persecuted by your city or your state. Like I think as long as you're not doing anything to piss people off at this point, like I think you can basically get away with, this isn't true. I'm sure there's some town out there that's like, oh, you're a pagan. Well, you're not allowed to be in this town anymore. Well, you know what? Then it's time to move, you know, but the same time, I feel like the world's become a lot more open place. And I feel like that the fear of persecution is definitely going down every single year. Yeah, I must say that was basically what I was going to touch on is I know specifically because I was asking about the United States is the fact that the amount of people that are still very Christian and a lot, you know, I mean, we have various groups of Christianity that are very outspoken about how they feel about things. Um you know, and it makes it difficult for a lot of people, like you were saying, specifically in the South, compared to countries over in Europe, where they have been going back to their original roots a lot sooner, where, you know, America was founded on people like former Christianity escaping persecution, you know what I mean? So like, it's, it's one of those things, like, it's kind of like what it was built on. So it's, it's difficult. It's a lot it's taking us a lot longer to stray away from that mindset, I feel like, compared to European countries where they're going back to their origins, basically. I don't know. 
that's my two cents. I feel like with the Europe, um, you guys have like, I'm not going to say you have it easy as far as like practicing this religion in Europe, but if you live in Norway and you have fjords nearby, I'm jealous. Like how much mm -hmm. easier is it to worship these gods in a fjord when you got poor old Ian here in New Mexico? Right. <laughs> um, and I do feel like that's something we struggle with here in the U.S. as a big component is the fact that we, you know, unless you're in like New, like northeast united states like there really isn't anything that's been touched by the you know pre-christian scandinavian and germanic societies um now i believe the land here has its own magic but it is different and so it, it is hard to find our own voice um in this in this heathen world how should you venerate uh the scaldic dragon asked how should you venerate the gods in our days like in our i guess our daily lives or is he meant like wednesday is odin's day i can't actually tell I mean, just trying to find the word for it. Um, I don't know. Just live your life the way that, the the way that you feel that the the gods want you to. You know, be your be the best version of yourself that you can be. Always work to better yourself. Like, especially if you're working with Odin, you know, work towards knowledge, work towards wisdom. You know, learn things, wander yeah. around, go to the mountains. You know, do what Odin would do. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, it, it's one of those things like, yeah, like Baker, you said it the best. And I know, Jacob, you did a video on it. And I'm, I meant to give you some crap about this because I was actually going to do a post about, you know, just living, you know, modern day living day to day as far as, you know, honoring the gods or like just, just what's like the best way to say it. Uh, I mean, your daily ritual practices. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, like the daily ritual <laughs> You mean the title of that video? Shameless plug. But yeah, like, that, like I was, I was meant to do a post on that, and then you beat me to it and did a video. So I was like, all right. But yeah, it's oh, it's I'm that so thing sorry. where you mean, my, you mean my video with over seventy thousand views? Is that what? You're <laughs> I'll catch up eventually. Um, but yeah, it's it's that it's that thing where you don't necessarily have to do something crazy every single day. You know, there's little things that we do. You know that I know that I do throughout my day, like. Jacob, you touched on it in your video. I have my oath ring on me. The only time I ever take that off is if I'm doing something that would A, risk me potentially losing my hand if I'm dealing with something with like a piece of machinery, like doing dishes and showering. You know what I mean? Like I don't ever take that off. You know, a lot of us wear a, some necklace or a pendant that represents, you know, whether it's a meal near, um, you know, I mean, Caleb, you've got your spear necklace on right now. You know what I mean? Like there's tons of different, like very subtle things that we do that I don't think people realize is a way of a daily ritual or a daily honoring of the gods in our practice and tattoos yeah like yeah. all three of us have tattoos all the ink <laughs> <laughs> I would never tattoo my perfect body with <laughs> a heathen symbol such as a tattoo you wouldn't defile your temple I wouldn't defile my temple with your <laughs> bloody ink. <laughs> well, yeah, that's my two cents on it. Now Terry's going to mess with me like, what is that atrocious British accent you did on the podcast <laughs> episode? I want to rapid fire the last set of questions here for you guys. Oh, All right. Just because we're going we're gonna to clear this out. Caleb, yeah. what are your opinions on Thor in the Marvel comics? Could some stories be a new saga? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this one comes from uh, Big Boy Thor. 
<laughs> I mean, there's answer just it just your answer should be no. Yeah, well, I'm just saying like no, but really, pretty boy Thor. He's supposed to be a literally like the the only version of him that they had that was close to like what he probably you know was actually depicted as being was uh, that last movie where he was fat and had the the really long hair. Except he wasn't a he wasn't a ginger like he's supposed to be. <laughs> I mean, right? Yeah, no, I think the Marvel Thor movies. I, I, we've talked about the subject before, and you know, I honor the fact that it raised awareness for Norse mythology in the commonplace of the household. But ultimately, it has done so much harm to the community in the sense that the imagery it gives for certain subjects that I can't give it like my stamp of approval. Like you need to go watch Thor, like. My children, unless they really want to, I will not sit them down and be like, let's watch Thor together, kids. Like, yeah. no. You can learn how Loki and Thor are brothers. No, no, they're really not. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ian. Yes. <laughs> Johan, uh, Johan Vargas, one, two, three, ask, have you ever physically seen one of the gods? Ah, yes, actually. I would say that I have. Um, so it was actually during the uh, well, actually two gatherings now. Um, so the first one was at the fall gathering with uh, the offering that we, uh, myself and two other individuals did with Anger Botha. That was an experience. Um, she was creeping and peeking behind some of the trees, clear as day. Um, slightly terrifying that I'm kind of reliving it. And then when I was preparing myself for the Hell's Gloat that I did at uh, the Texas gathering that I put on, um, Hell actually made herself very apparent to me. And it actually was so clear, it physically made me jump because I was not prepared for it. Um, I was just kind of in that mindset of, you know, focusing on her and everything. And I happened to open my eyes and she was right there in front of my face. And it, it physically made me jump and kind of scared me right away because I did not expect it. So yes, yes, I have. All right, the last question that we can go on a little bit of debate for. So this will be our closing, our closing one. And I've talked about this in a video before. Um, what are the gods to you? Are they spirits or are they metaphors? Uh, this is from Frizz Mutt. So this is kind of going off of what you just said, Ian. So obviously, mm -hmm kind of roll into that what do you see the gods actually as so i can i see them as a combination of both um in their own ways um because yes like obviously like i was just explaining i have seen a a physical representation of them um and you could even dive deeper into like dreams um seeing them in dreams to me is almost like seeing them in a physical representation though yes it may be in a dream or a vision it, to me that is still them making their appearance known um, more of the spiritual aspect of her, the, the spirit part. Um, and each one of the gods represents some type of lesson or metaphoric um, idea, I would say, because they're all associated with something or another. Like, yes, they overlap, but each one has their very specific thing, like, for example, Odin and wisdom, you know what I mean? Like, it, I think looking at them as one or the other is a little too much of like a like too much tunnel vision way of looking at it i see them definitely as a combination of both they're definitely out of our they're more than we could ever comprehend is the best way that i can think to put it 
we're, we're talking about things that are, that are so ancient that should, we can't put an actual age on them, you know? They've been around almost as long as the world has been around or the universe, actually longer, especially with, like with Odin and some of the some of the other Odin. But just just more, more than we can comprehend. If we actually had that knowledge, I think we would act, we'd probably go mad. So with me, I was actually talking about with my uncle a little bit um, this weekend on mine and his little excursion on Christmas Day. Um, to me, you know to the go we try too hard to explain the forces in which we don't really comprehend um you know obviously us sitting here as people educated now know that the tides of the world are caused by the gravitational pull of the moon but at the same time that's knowledge that's really only existed for the last 200 years um maybe maybe longer than that i don't know the exact tight that we discovered that that's what caused the tides but regardless it's a modern thinking and so what the ancestors had to do is they saw that the oceans rose and fell every single day. And so they had to fill in those blanks. They had to discuss, okay, why does that happen? And, you know, to them, that story of the ocean's tides came from Thor drinking the ocean. You know, he drank that horn, the bottomless horn, and he drank so much of it that he created a dispersal in the ocean that created our tides. And so they had this fun story, mythology, that obviously now we have disproven. But now we've also learned that the moon, a gigantic space rock that floats millions of miles away from us, is pulling with invisible force the oceans of our world every single day. It lifts them into the sky closer to the moon and then drops them as it moves farther away. So you're telling me a gigantic space rock is using invisible forces to move water and you don't wanna call that magic? Yeah. To me, that's why I don't need really an explanation for certain things and the explanation for the gods because hate to break to y'all, but we all water. So that moon doing something to us. And so that's a crazy thing. And even people like my mom who work as a nurse know that like, you know, strange things happen, you know, at full moons and things like that. So there's like, there is magic to this world. And I find that the more we find out, the more we're like, wait, no, the like that's magic. Like that's weird. Like. The sun is a gigantic ball of nuclear energy that gives us all life and could consume us and destroy us at any point. That's not a deity. I don't know what is. You know? <laughs> Same thing with our earth. And I think earth is the best way to describe a deity because most cultures have the earth as a form of deity. Like the earth is a, you know, an object with a core, a heart that has, you know, magma, you know, constantly circulating through it blood and on the surface of it is us our entirely livelihoods take place on this rock of magma and water and is that is the earth not a living being like the tree is alive uh, to me the earth is alive and to me that's the earth would be a deity so i don't know you know that's a huge tangent we can go on but to me the world is full of magic and there is magic that we cannot explain and to me that is where religion comes in that is where faith comes in and I think that's pretty damn cool. I'm just waiting for you to do your aliens. <laughs> and then the aliens. Okay, so, all right. So in your right hand, all right. So in your right hand, you got the Yotans, right? They lived on Mars. And then the Yotans decided that Mars ain't good anymore. And they said, you know what? Them, them Asia gods from Jupiter, they decided that they're going to build themselves a new world. So what we're going to do is we're going to smack that with a rock. And we're going we're gonna to f*** that thing up. <laughs> And so then the Jotuns got themselves an asteroid, and that asteroid was called Ymir. And then they drove that asteroid 
into that ball of magma. And the ACS said, whoa, oh this is our creation. You don't just go around hurling meteors called Ymir at our creation. And then they had this big war, right? And then the Vanya, these, uh, these motherfuckers from uh, <laughs> 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 These these uh these L like uh you know basically like fairy freaks decided okay we're gonna get involved in this we're gonna send you this woman named Galveg okay it's gonna get real good and the, <laughs> the Aesir are like nah this Galveg chick she's hideous let's stab her I don't want to look at it anymore say so burn Galveg they are gonna burn that three times they burn that three times and you know what. <laughs> She still kept on getting back up. They started calling her Jesus Christ, and now they got churches to her. And I don't know, I don't know what's going on anymore. I don't know why my exit is changed three times. <laughs> I want a copy of this clip right here. <laughs> <laughs> what happens when Jason drinks too much? <laughs> it all. Oh, oh God. And then that the beach gold. <laughs> You sounded like some weird, like, inbred mix between uh, New Jersey and New York, and then you turned Australian. Yeah, I was like, he's about to offend so many New Yorker and Jersey folks. It's going to be hilarious. But I don't claim to be an expert. I just claim to be Jacob of Norse Pagan. And you've been listening to the 19th episode of the Folk Podcast. And until the whole skull! Skull! Oh. <laughs> uh, how are you guys doing over there? That was good. That was good. Like I said, I want a copy of that soundbite.